Well, we're continuing our study through the book of Acts. And last week we talked about Paul and Silas being in stocks and jail, suffering a beating for simply doing God's work, healing a girl of demon possession. They were jailed for doing the right thing. You ever receive punishment or reprimand for doing the right thing? During their pain and imprisonment, they were still able to sing praises to God. They still had the joy of the Lord in their heart. Even though they were suffering, they were still able to sing praises. And because of that, people listened, people heard, and lives were changed. God answered their prayer by delivering them from jail. And their witness and lifestyle were noticed by others. The jailer, his family, maybe some of the prisoners, we don't know. They were all saved because of their witness through the hardship. The last verse we left off with was verse 34. It said, The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. How many of you, and this is before you came to know Christ, if you came to know him at an older age, you were really reluctant to do that because you thought, of all the things you had to give up and all the changes you're going to have to make, and you just don't want to do that. And then once you get saved, you realize all that was a mistake, and you now have this excitement, this joy, and this stupid headset. (laughs) But the joy that you experience now or when you got saved, when we share with people, we hear what they may say at the beginning. They may not like what we say or whatever, but we have to remember that beyond that, when they come to Christ, they are going to experience the joy that we had. So it's okay for us to... This thing. When we share it and we get negative responses, that's okay because we've been there. We've probably given those negative responses. But we have to look beyond that into what God is going to transform in their life. And they, at some point, will be appreciative of us persevering, sharing with them. As I was, and as I'm sure some of you were, the people that you, you gave the most grief to are the ones that you're so appreciative that they continued to share. And you got, you got saved because of it. So now we're going to pick it up from there. The next sentence Now, it appears that they went to the jailer's house, but they also went back to jail. Verse 35 says, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release these men. Now, they were in the jailer's house, which I assume is not part of the jail. They were free. Gates were gone. Earthquake happened. They were out of jail in the jailer's house, and yet they go back. They go back to the the jail. Why would you do that? Well, I think if they left at that point and just scurried out of town, there would be a cloud of suspicion around them. People would not have known what God was doing in their life had they just gotten away under the cloud of darkness. I think they wanted to make it obvious to everyone that God was involved in that and doing what he was doing. People would wonder who these guys were. Did they really represent God? What about the future of the church? If they're gone already, what's going to happen there? 
if they left without talking to anyone or being able to share that publicly, the church may never have really begun. But they needed to stay to make sure that did happen. It would have been a mystery. Were they hiding something? Why did they leave so quickly? They wanted to leave under the right circumstances. They wanted to make it a point to leave correctly. Anybody ever leave a job? You ever leave a job incorrectly? I believe there's a way to leave between changing jobs or moving away or even changing churches. There is a, there's a way to do it. There's a way to do it right. And all the changes that we make, we hopefully they're under God's direction. But when that happens, do we leave for the right reasons and do we leave well? When we left our, our home church in, in Pittsburgh area, it was the toughest thing we ever did. And it would have been easy for us to just, you know, slip away. But we wanted to make sure that everyone, you know, knew we were leaving and we were leaving for the right reasons and stuff. So we stayed and we, a lot of people expressed regret that we were leaving, but they understood it. But we did it correctly so that everyone was able to know, no, we weren't fired. No, we didn't do something wrong. We left because we felt God was doing it. Do we leave places for the right reason? And we, do we leave it in a way that honors God? Even when you leave a job, do we leave it better than when you found it? Do you do it honorably? And that's what they wanted to do when they were leaving town. Verse 36 says, The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Well, the people realized who were in charge, they didn't have a case against Paul and Silas. So they're trying to whisk them off without any more embarrassment or failure. They wanted to kind of get them out of time before people noticed that they blew it and they made some big mistake. And notice that nothing is mentioned about the earthquake or the opening of the cells. The people either didn't recognize the hand of God or they wanted to dismiss it as something that was a natural phenomenon. You ever talk to people who maybe experienced miracles or have witnessed them and they try to make it appear as something else. Either they don't recognize it or they poo-poo it or they say, well, it's just coincidence. I think you said today, no coincidences, right? A coincidence I heard is when God uh, chooses to remain anonymous. Whenever you see or feel a natural phenomenon or a, a miracle happen, it's good to acknowledge it, to realize that God is in the middle of it and not just attribute it to something that it wasn't. And even sometimes as Christians, we do that as well. We think, well, that would have happened anyways or that, you know, that weather would have changed anyways. Everything that happens, God is in charge of. And so every miraculous thing that happens, whether big or small, we have to acknowledge that God was a part of it and God was the one causing it. So they didn't acknowledge the earthquake. They didn't believe that God was in charge of it. All they wanted to do was make sure these troublemakers got out of town without any more embarrassment to them because they were beaten and jailed and thought for sure that intimidation would be enough to get them out. Run them out of town. You ever been intimidated in the hopes that you'll be quiet about your faith? Threaten your job, just put you down when they talk to you. They were trying to intimidate them through the jailings and the beatings to get them out of town, figuring, okay, we'll let them go. 
since they don't want any more beatings, I'm sure let's just scurry them out of town and they'll leave, no problem. We won't have an issue with them and no one's going to know anything else. Now, what was Paul's response to that? He could have said, okay, great, deal, we're out. Let's go, we don't want any more beatings or jails, we'll just leave right now. He could have beat a hasty retreat and that would have been the easy way out. But as usual, Paul doesn't take the easy way out. In fact, he pushed the issue even more in verse 37. It says, but Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and they threw us into prison. And now you want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. Now we know Paul was a Roman citizen, right? And as a Roman citizen, he was accorded various rights to him from that government, Roman government. And what he had been denied was the due process. He should not have been beaten. He shouldn't have been jailed. He should, none of that stuff should have happened to him because he was a citizen. And yet it did. And now he's calling them on it. In fact, he's demanding that those rights be given to him. Now here's a question for you. Paul was challenging the people in authority because the people in authority were not operating under the laws that were in effect in that town. So the question is, when the Bible says we're supposed to obey those in authority, what if those in authority are not obeying the laws of the land? Are we still obliged to obey them? I'm not asking for an answer. Roman government had laws set up. The magistrate, the leader, the ruler, the law in that particular town disobeyed the law of the land. Paul was challenging him on it, calling him on it, and telling him, I'm going to bust you for this. The magistrate told him to leave. And Paul says, I'm not leaving. I'm staying. And you're going to repent. You're going you're to show yourself what you did. Our country has a Bill of Rights and a Constitution. And those in authority, if they don't obey those documents, are we as believers obliged to obey the people in authority. Paul challenged them because the law stated something that they did not follow. In fact, he calls them out almost by name. He says, the ones who did this need to come to me. Not the jailers, not the people who, the secondary people, the ones who made the choice, the ones who are in authority are the ones I'm calling out, challenging them. Verse 38 says, the officers reported this to the magistrates. When they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. What they did to Paul and Silas in that country was a serious offense. They could have been really reprimanded for that. And now they're getting afraid. They're afraid for their own hides. If they were the leaders, why would they be alarmed? They hold the power, right? He's a magistrate. Well, the reason was probably 
It was illegal for him to do that. It was against the law of that land at that time. And these guys did not want any legal problems or my guess, and as some of the commentaries have said, they did not want to be the recipients of the wrath of the citizenry of Rome. Now, what do I mean by that? If the, the general rank and file hears that the leadership, the rulers, the authority in that town disobeyed that country's law, the townspeople would rise up because if they can do it to these guys, they can do it to me. And so they were afraid of the wrath of the citizens coming against their authority. So even people who didn't really know or even believe Paul and Silas would have been upset that a Roman citizen was treated this way because it could happen to me for something else. When Christians lose out on some basic rights, others need to heed that because they might be next. What was the, uh, the old adage? I may not agree with what you say, but I'll defend your right to say it. We've probably all heard this at some point or some paraphrase of it, but a German Lutheran pastor, Martin Niemöller, wrote this during World War II. He said, first they come for the socialists, but I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. They came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I'm not a trade unionist. They came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. We have freedoms and laws that were granted to us a couple hundred years ago, and I believe it's upon us to maintain that as long as we can and to do the things that we need to do to maintain the laws that were established. Verse 39 says, they came to appease them and escort them from prison, requesting that they leave the city. Now, why would people in authority lower themselves to respond to a prisoner? The magistrate, the leader of the town, the authority, kind of walks with his tail between his legs to talk to a prisoner. Why would he do that? Unless it was something that the magistrate was afraid was going to happen to him. And again, the wrath of the crowd for him was a distinct possibility. But to, put, to kind of put it this way, as quietly as possible, they requested that they leave. It wasn't a demand or a forceful exit. They really wanted them to leave so what happened to them before the beatings and the imprisonment wouldn't have to happen again. Come on, someone else grabbed them and beat them if they did it forcefully. So verse 40, they, they come out of the prison and it says, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house. Well, we assume that they escorted them out. We assume that the authorities came and requested that they leave, but they didn't leave. They went to Lydia's house, who was in the same town. They didn't leave the town. They stayed there. Again, in opposition to the authority in that town. They stayed there. It says they went to Lydia's house where they met the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. Now remember, Lydia was the one who gave them hospitality back in the beginning. And they knew and they remembered the hospitality that Lydia showed them and they knew that they would be safe when they went there. 
I read that and I thought, you know, when you show true hospitality and love to someone, they're going to remember that. More than anything else, they're going to remember that. How do we treat others when we come in contact with them? That's what they remember. What, if I can remember this phrase right, they may not remember what you say, but they remember how you, they made you feel. You may not remember anything I say up front, which is a distinct possibility. But you're going to remember how you were treated when you came into the church. You're going to remember how you were treated at the grocery store or whatever. That's what people remember. They could have left without stopping. They could have just kept on walking. But they had the relationship with Lydia. And they knew they would be encouraged there. It was a nice place to stop and rest. And so they wanted to spend some time there before they left. Now, who was there at Lydia's house? Lydia had other believers with her. And we believe that's the birth of the Philippian church. Lydia was the first believer, and now she had others joining her. We believe that the slave girl was a part of that. Now the jailer and his family was there. So now the church was beginning to grow. It was birthed in Lydia's house, and now others were coming and becoming believers, and the church was established. And Paul went there as kind of their mentor, as their founder, and said, okay, you pray with them and encourage them, challenge them to continue on, and then he leaves. And after that, you know, we get the letter to Philippians from Paul later on to encourage them as well. Now, notice the, the, the pronoun change in the sentences. Up to this point, Luke, the author of Acts, was with them. They, they traveled as a pack. But now Luke was going to separate himself from that. In verse 13, it says, On the Sabbath, we went out of the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. That's Luke writing, including himself. Verse 16 in Acts 16 says, When we were going out to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. But now we come to verse 40. and says, After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house. They met the brothers. They encouraged them. And then they left. Luke stays behind, presumably, to help this foundling church. He was one of the, you know, one of the disciples. He was, a, he was a leader, and he was there to help them formulate and prepare that church for growth. Paul later, later writes the letter to the Philippians and commends them for continuing to grow. In, verse, in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, it says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So the church at this point had grown from Lydia, one person, then the slave girl, and then the jailer, his family, all because Paul and Silas began a work in the town. And now, years later, we assume the letter was written. They now have overseers. They now have deacons. They now have leaders in the church. And it was continuing to grow. And, that God, and Paul says later, I know that God's going to finish the work. Now, whatever that finish means, the whole town, we don't know. But whatever God was doing, he was going to finish. And that's one, for me, that's one of the verses that I 
memorized that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Because I, I, I came across that verse as I was going through Bible college. I'm thinking, I'm never going to finish this. It's, you know, I was working at the time, you know, kids. I'm never going to finish this. Now, one night I was reading that, and it just kind of stuck in my head. The God who began that good work is going to finish that in you. Okay, Lord, thanks for that. I needed that. Why? Because God is going to finish the work that he began in you. Where are you at right now? And you don't think you're going to finish. You don't think it's going to work out right. You're not really where you need to be. The Bible says that God will finish the work that he's doing in you. And how many know... Yeah, you're never really finished. <laughs> no matter how far you come, you never arrive. You can never say, that's all I need to learn. I'm good. I remember a commercial years ago when the internet was relatively new. and the commercial, the guy had a computer screen and it says, the end of the internet is what it said. He said, honey, I've reached the end of the internet. I've come to everything there is to know on the internet. It says the end. How many know there is no end to that? Well, that's the same way it is with Christ. There is no, you're never, it's never enough. You never arrive. You keep growing, but you never get to where you can say, you know what? Got it all. Everything I have, I've got. Now, this ends chapter 16 in the book of Acts. So we're going to recap just real quickly. It looks like you'll be out of here early unless anybody wants to stay. We can do that. Everyone in the chapter came to Christ in a different manner. Timothy came to know Christ because of his mom and his grandmother. Lydia was converted through a quiet conversation with Paul at a Jewish prayer meeting. The slave girl was converted when Paul confronted her. And the jailer was saved from suicide through the faithful lifestyle of Paul and Silas. The point is there's many people with various different situations in their life, different experiences, and each one can be reached in a different manner. There's no cookie-cutter way to evangelize. There's no one set pattern to minister to people. God will use experiences in your life to help someone else. We've said that before. If you experience hardship, people who experience that same hardship can identify with you. If you have the same type of job or the same type of occupation or the same lifestyle, whatever, anything that's similar to the world, God will use those situations, no matter what they are, to minister to the people that you come across. And God will use the circumstances in each of our lives as an opportunity to break through to someone with the gospel. Someone had to be there to show each of these people how to do it, how to know Christ. And each one was different. But notice each one was basically a one-on-one. It was, none of these were at a, quote, church service. These were all one-on-one conversations. These were all witnesses either one-on-one or two-on-one, a more uh, familiar setting. Coffee. And a friend of mine who's, uh, actually, he was in our youth group when I was doing a youth leader, and he's now in the ministry, so it tells you how old I am. But 
He, he has his office in Panera. Takes his laptop, he does his work there, and he talks to the people in Panera. As they walk in, they see him on his computer. He has a chance to share with them. He spends his office hours there to minister to people. Each one of us have the ability to do something that's radically different than what we are used to in order to reach people and to show them the truth. And the question is, are you that person? You know, we talked on Wednesday night about sharing your faith. The title was, When You Believe God But You Don't Share Your Faith. And the one thing we talked about was sometimes we're fearful to do that. We're, we're worried about what people's reaction will be. But again, going back to the beginning, if you realize that really what you have for them, when they experience it, they will be grateful that you took the time to do it. And all the grief and, and nonsense we get now they will be appreciative that you did that. And I can say from my own life, that was the people who witnessed to me, I would give a lot of grief to. But I'm really glad that they persisted in that now. So just like a parent, when your child gives you a hard time and you know you're doing the best and maybe they, don't, they say they don't like you very much, don't like your decision making, Think you're not the smartest tool in the shed. But guess what? You're doing that because you know that eventually they're going to understand why you did it. Dobson calls it the dark side of the moon. I'll close with this. He says, when your kids are teenagers, you have a communication with them like, like they had with the Apollo shots back in the 60s and 70s. He says, but when they, the Apollo capsule went around the back side of the moon, they lost communication with them. They couldn't because the moon was in the way. He says, that's what teenagers are sometimes. They get on the backside of the moon and you, you, don't, you lose communication with them. He goes, but when they come around the other side again, you reestablish communication. And it's amazing how smart parents instantly become when your kid's about 22 or 23. It's like you gained all this knowledge in, in a matter of six months because before that, you were as dumb as a bag of rocks and you didn't understand anything. But you, you keep persisting because you know what the end product will be. And that's how it is when we talk to someone about Christ. You keep persisting because you know what the end product is going to be in their life. And they will be thankful that you did. Would you stand as we close this morning? If you would bow your heads for a moment. Father, we are thankful. We are, first of all, thank you for saving us, for speaking into our lives, getting our attention, and allowing us to choose to believe. Lord, beyond that, if you don't do anything else for us, Lord, we are thankful that we know you and we will be with you at some point. But Father, beyond that, you've given us promises, you've given us your word, you've given us blessings in our life. And for that, we are grateful as well. Lord, sometimes we just take those things for granted. We take the ease and the comfort that we have here 
for granted. Help us not to do that. Help us to always be thankful. And Father, as we begin this new year, Lord, you know that you will finish finish the work that you started in our lives, both personally and corporately as a church. Father, you've given every church a mission, every church a vision, and every church's mission and vision is to reach people that don't know you. That's the, really the only reason that we exist. It's our reason for being. So Lord, as we begin this new year, a new year, I pray that you would re-energize us with that, that concept, that vision of what you've called us to do. And I pray that you would kind of birth in us also a realization of the reality of what hell is like so that we regain that sense of urgency and allow us to be about the Father's business this year. And Father, your word says, if we take care of your business, you'll take care of ours. Matthew six thirty three. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things that we need will be added unto us. So Father, we worry about what you've called us to do, and you worry, you worry about meeting our needs. And Father, if we step out in faith and are challenged to do new things and new ventures and different things to reach people, as society changes, Lord, we want to change with it. We don't change the message. We want to change the method so that we are up to date reaching people with your timeless message. And Father, we, we know it won't be easy We know there will be some opposition. But Father, we trust you that they will be joyful that we took the time to pray and to talk to them about Christ. Help us to be about your business, Lord. Father, we love you this morning. We're so appreciative of all you've done for us. How can we do anything but thank you for the blessings in our life? I pray for each person as we leave today, God, help us... Leave full of the Holy Spirit, full of power and anointing and desire and all that's required to be a faithful servant of our Father. To Lord, I commit this church, I commit each one to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Have a tremendous week. Have a blessed week. Keep safe out there. See you Wednesday night.